0: Hi, I'm Graham McLennan, and today the show takes us to the Arts District in Vegas for a talk with a very impressive food writer who's also a podcaster and who's going to share some of her favorite Vegas restaurants. Let's get started.
1: Talking to chefs, and sometimes lawyers, but always to people who love food, it's Chef Demoni. Here's your host, Graham McLennan.
0: Welcome to your Friday, and welcome back to the Chef Chefdemony podcast, or if you're new here, welcome to the show. This podcast is all about food, and most of the time, the people I talk to are chefs and lawyers. That's simply because I've done both of those jobs over the years, so many of the people I know are either chefs or lawyers. But sometimes, like today, I have a great guest who's a little outside the usual profile, and I can't wait to introduce you to Sonia Swanson. Before we get to today's interview though, a few housekeeping matters to take care of. Some upcoming episodes will bring you talks on a few different issues. Fermentation is one, food industry regulation. I've got a talk coming up with a cookbook author, another one with a food enthusiast lawyer, and fingers crossed with someone who's made a really interesting transition from sports to food. So all of that will be in the coming weeks, and at some point we're going to have to figure out when to wrap up Season 2 of Cheftimony. The coming holiday season may have something to do with that. Uh, more housekeeping. If you're enjoying the show, please do take a minute to rate and review Cheftimony. You can do that on Apple Podcasts or on the other podcast apps and directories, and doing that really does help other people to find the show, and of course it warms my heart. So if you choose to do that, thank you. Okay, to today's interview now. We are back in Las Vegas, whereas last week we were just about a half hour away in Boulder City with the camper chef. Today my guest is Sonia Swanson. She's a really talented food writer. She is a freelance journalist and in more recent months she is a podcaster as well. Sonia, along with her podcasting partner Christy Totten, writes and produces the Spicy Eyes podcast. I've talked about Spicy Eyes in the past. It's a show about food and culture in Las Vegas. I really highly recommend it. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. As to her written works, you can find those by Sonia on a number of platforms. They're in the New York Times, Sirius Eats, Food 52, Eater, the LA Times, on and on. She's, as I say, a really impressive writer. We met at Vesta Coffee Roasters in the Arts District of Las Vegas, and we started out our talk with Sonia's thoughts on places in that neighborhood, including Esther's, uh, B, my wife, and I finally made it, to Esther's for brunch on this trip, and it was absolutely fantastic. Sonia also mentions Hopnuts Brewery, a a favourite of hers for the, the local brewing scene. There's Velveteen Rabbit, that's a great place for cocktails, I hear. I still haven't been, so I've really got to get there on one of these Vegas trips. I was also interested, but not surprised, I suppose, to learn that, like many Vegas locals, Sonia is a fan of the amazing food scene outside of the very famous Las Vegas Strip
1: absolutely absolutely like I, w- I would love for people to like see Vegas outside of just the strip and see that like you know this is a is this a town I will say that like if people just want to come to Vegas and just see this strip that's perfectly fine with me you know but if you want to spend a little more time in Vegas beyond just like a weekend or if you're coming back for a repeat visit I, sh- I think you should do yourself a favor and rent a car or hop in a ride share and come see places that are you know off the off the typical beaten path of the strip
0: Sonia and I also talk about some of her many other projects, including one that I'm still having a bit of trouble pronouncing, Buri Kitchen. I'll let Sonia tell you about it and pronounce it properly. It's a really cool collaboration between Sonia as writer and a Korean chef. Sonia is also doing a fellowship at UC Berkeley where she's undertaking a writing project that is focused on a really interesting grey market food product in Korea. It's an interesting story. You'll hear about it today. Oh, and on the subject of Korean food and food options in Las Vegas, naturally I had to ask Sonia. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us? Do you have a favorite Korean spot in town?
1: I do. <laughs> okay. And I'm gonna share with you my secret here. This is like yes. I'm sharing some Ooh. gems here, right? Okay, um,
0: inside information. I love yeah,
1: it. yeah. So the place that my mom and I always love to go to is a spot. on...
0: There are such great food options in Las Vegas beyond the Strip. It doesn't seem to be a big place for locals. The Strip has got amazing restaurants, of course, but it is really, really expensive. So I say take Sonia's advice and head off Strip to see how amazing that food scene is. You're going to hear today from Sonia about some specific Vegas neighbourhoods that you may not have considered. And she's going to share her thoughts as well on life as a freelancer. It's not for everyone and maybe not even for Sonia. We also delve briefly into the topic of universal health care. That's a bit of a departure for Chefdemoni, but it's a hugely important topic, and it's one of the biggest differences I notice between Canada and the U.S., Oh, you're also going to hear references to Chris in this interview. And Chris is a mutual friend of Sonia's and mine. He is also the host of the amazing Faces and Aces Las Vegas podcast. And I mentioned Chris in my talk with Sonia just because I had met up with him earlier on the same trip to Las Vegas. Anyway, to the interview now, join me at Vesta Coffee Roasters in the Arts District of Las Vegas, Nevada. Here's my talk with Sonia Swanson. All right, Sonia, thank you so much for meeting up on a beautiful, sunny, to me warm, yeah. Las Vegas, uh, November Sunday afternoon. Thanks for being on Chefdemony.
1: Oh, thanks for having me. It's, it's nice to be out. Let's start
0: right where we are because we're meeting in this super cool coffee shop. I'm looking at bushels and bushels of coffee, literally, here at Vesta Coffee Roasters in what I understand is the... The Arts District of Vegas. So for people like me who are tourists, it's between the Strip and downtown or old Vegas. Mm -hmm. What's going on here? It seems like this area is really booming, developing. Something's happening.
1: Totally. So this is Main Street. We're actually just off Main Street by one block, but basically all around Main Street within a block or so, there's been a lot of new activity, a lot of shops and restaurants and breweries and bars and whatnot coming in. So it's been pretty exciting to see. I love coming to Vesta. To me, it's like one of my favorite spots because... They've got great coffee, and I just love all the natural light that floods the space, all the white walls. It's just a great place to work, so I'm glad we could meet up here.
0: Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Any other gems in the neighborhood? And I know yeah. of one because B and I had brunch there mm-hmm. yesterday, but I'm curious for your thoughts.
1: Well, of course, sounds like you've been to Esther's, <laughs> yes. so yes. Great great spot uh, downtown right around here. Um, I actually also love Hopnuts, which is a, a brewery just a block or a, co- a couple blocks away, and um, they have a nice happy hour where they've got specials on a few of their beers, Um, And they have a great open patio in the front, too, where they just open the doors wide open when the weather is nice like this. And it's just a great place to hang out gosh, what else is on Main Street? There are some really cool vintage shops down here. There's a place called Patina that has some really unique finds. There's a great cocktail bar on Main Street called the Velveteen, Velveteen Rabbit. Have you been to Oh,
0: no. But who was mentioning it? Oh, um, our friend Laura, whom we met yeah. yesterday for the Sour mm-hmm. Saturday Festival, she had just been there and really liked it too. Yeah. Oh,
1: nice. Yeah, no, it's a great place. I was just there for Halloween, actually, and it was just like the perfect kind of like moody vibe for, yeah. for the holiday. So Beautiful.
0: Wonderful. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm going to explore some of those. Hopefully all of them. Yes. Um, well, let's start talking about food and culture because I know a lot of your work uh, is at the intersection of those two topics Let's start where I got to know you first, or know of you first, which is the Spicy Eyes podcast that you put out with our mutual friend, I'm going to claim her as a friend, yeah. Christy Totten, <laughs> and uh, it's a wonderful show, and I'm so happy because I saw on your Twitter feed yesterday that you're working on the next episode, so even though Christy has moved away from Las Vegas, it sounds like Spicy Eyes is going to continue, is that right?
1: It is, it we is. We've, we're going to keep it going, and honestly, I want to say, even though Christy moved away, the ball has been in my court for that next episode because i have the recordings on my computer so i'm getting to them i promise and i will give your listeners a little sneak preview of the next episode which may or may not come out before after your episode comes out but it is about grasshoppers
0: grasshoppers there was something of a an invasion this yes. summer what? Yes. okay yeah can you tell us a little bit more
1: all i can say <laughs> is that grasshoppers are surprisingly tasty So I'll leave it at that. All
0: right. All right. Well, I will definitely direct the Chef Demoni crowd to Spicy Eyes for that. (laughs) Great. Um, Tell us a little bit more. What are you hoping to achieve with the show? Because you dive both into into food topics, but Mm -hmm. also into, well, culture, I guess is Mm -hmm. the word to describe it broadly, Mm -hmm. but some social issues. uh, The Mm -hmm. episode you did on the cupcake girls, on sex work in Vegas and how that intersects with food. I I think it's a fascinating approach. So Mm -hmm. please tell us more about what you're trying to achieve with the show.
1: Yeah, so for us, like, Christy and I are both really interested in food, but not so much in terms of, like, what are the hottest places to eat. And, I mean, dining culture is certainly an important part of understanding a city's culture, but we were really interested in using food as a lens to understand the city and explore some of the themes and issues that make Las Vegas unique. So, for example, with the Hawaiian episode, we learned that Las Vegas has the highest population of Hawaiians outside of Hawaii. And so we kind of, like, looked at, like, what are some of the Hawaiian food traditions here in town? Like, why do we have so many Hawaiian places? And what makes the California Hotel, like, this epicenter of the Hawaiian community? And then through that, we were able to kind of explore the whole history of Hawaiian migration. And then you kind of understand that it's a colonized place and that Las Vegas is, like, a really affordable outpost. And there's a really unique history with the California Hotel there, too. So it becomes this, like lens and a focal point to kind of explore bigger issues. So taking food is like one, one way of doing that.
0: Yeah, with respect to the Cal, it's funny because mm-hmm. I had been there I think once before I heard your episode mm-hmm. and I could only wonder why is this hotel entirely themed in a in a Hawaiian theme?
1: Right, and, and it's called the California. Right, and yeah. it's called
0: the California. Yeah. But yeah, and what yeah. an absolutely fascinating history. I still yes. have not been for the Oxtail Soup, but I'm gonna have to, uh, some late night when I'm out on Fremont, there I guess. There you go.
1: Yeah, and be prepared. I mean, it's massive, so come hungry okay yeah
0: <laughs> talk about sonia if you would please another of your project initiatives and i'm going to mispronounce it buri That's buri su- kitchen
1: super close okay. you're super super close so it's booty booty yes which is kind of like the cute V I call it you yes. know so booty means root in korean and it's a project that i started with the chef in korea oh gosh is it five years ago now I'll have to go back and look the dates exactly but it's been a while so it started when I was living in Korea and this chef her name is So Jung she called me up after I took her cooking class and was like hey Sonia I heard you're a writer do you want to just start this project with me where we travel around the Korean countryside explore like local seasonal ingredients and then maybe write a book And we were like, "This will take one year. Let's do it." And now, five years on, we're still working on it. The
0: project is, but what an attractive project! I I can see how you could not say no to that.
1: It has been honestly an amazing experience. So through that project, we got to travel basically all over the country. We've been to like these tiny fishing villages. We've gone to seaweed farms, and we've gone like oyster harvesting. We've gone mushroom foraging, like up in the mountains of Kangwon Province, up in the north. We've just honestly been all over. Um, and exciting news, we have an agent. So we are working on a cookbook proposal.
0: Congratulations.
1: Thank you. So that might take a little time. It might be a couple of years, and, you know, it might not actually ever get published. But we told ourselves, at the very least, we'll, we'll make a PDF and put it out on Amazon. So
0: right. and it'll had, be something. For sure. Yeah. And has that improved your own cooking game, that oh experience? My gosh. It must have.
1: I have learned so much. I have to say, I was pretty inept in the kitchen before I met Sayoung. So... <laughs> <laughs> Thanks to her, I can actually put together a meal. So, yeah. (laughs) Okay. My mom was impressed.
0: Okay, good, good, good. And we're going to come back to cooking and a few tips I'm hoping to get from from you at the end of the interview. I'll
1: do my best. Okay, okay.
0: (laughs) But for now, uh, let's move more into what I'll call the academic side, the writing side. Mm -hmm. And I understand from a chat we were having uh, between you and me and my wife, B just a moment ago, that you're now working on a really exciting project through a fellowship at Berkeley. Is that right?
1: Yeah. So, there's this... um, fellowship called the 11th hour food and farming journalism fellowship kind of a mouthful it's housed at uc berkeley um school of journalism and it was started by michael pollan as you know the food writer michael pollan author of the animal Wars oh. dilemma of course yeah and um the program takes 10 fellows a year and what they do is they bring them together in the spring for a week for like a week-long seminar and then we get our funding and we go out and do our research all summer and then we come together again in the fall so i'm out to go back um in a couple weeks and workshop my writing. Um, but it's honestly been such an amazing experience to, like, just get really intense feedback from a lot of talented writers and editors and, and improve a lot.
0: Of course. Yeah. Could you give us a sneak peek at all into what mm. topic you might be exploring through the fellowship? Yeah.
1: yeah, so for the fellowship, I actually ended up going to Korea this summer for two months. Um, and I have been researching dog meat in Korea, which is kind of a controversial topic, which is why it's so interesting to me. Yes. You know? and, and I'm actually mixed Korean. My mom is Korean, so I, I feel like I have... You know, and I lived in Korea for seven years, so I feel like I have a stake in in this culture and trying to understand like why it has become so controversial. So one thing that's really interesting to me is that dog meat is actually in a legal gray area in Korea, so it's like both it's considered legal under one law and somewhat like potentially illegal under another law, um, and it's just up for debate. And the issue has been really deadlocked in the legislature for a long time. People don't really want to address it, but that might be changing, which is why. I've been doing why, the research. Why you're
0: looking at it? Yeah, okay. has yeah. it been one of these things where it may be illegal, but it's done, or it's done in certain parts of the country, and and people are, you know, the government regulators may be turning a blind eye.
1: Uh, no, I mean there no? there have been like sort of it's an industry, right? Like they have you know there are dog meat farms, um, they have like slaughterhouses and distributors and like markets. So um, and then and then there are restaurants as well. So there's a whole chain of like producers that are somewhat regulated, but okay. there are also times when they do turn a blind eye to certain practices because it is in this legal gray area. So there, there are some pretty horrific practices going on in the mm. way that they're slaughtered that I think would probably be better regulated if it was maybe more legal complicated it's a
0: complicated yeah it sounds like a complicated area yeah so you can see uh, i can see resistance to legalization just on a conceptual level but exactly could be better when you actually get into the details
1: right right but then again is it a dying industry anyways so less and less people eat dog meat these days
0: well, I look forward to, it, to reading the results of your of your research. I do too. Yes. Okay. And let's move into or continue our, our discussion of writing that you do with... Um, mm-hmm. What I have experienced of your writing is mm-hmm. the, the food-related stuff, which definitely seems to be a passion. How did you get into it? How do you do it now? Let's start there.
1: Yeah. So I've been freelance writing for a while. And for me, like ideas seem to come at random at times or sometimes it'll come out of a question so or just like something that somebody happens to mention to me like by happenstance so for example uh, uh, an article I wrote for the New York Times recently was about um, the rebirth of like this hanok or traditional Korean home and it happened because a friend of mine who is an architect posted something on his Instagram about a house he was working on and I was like wow that's beautiful house like, and I just messaged him and I was like wait tell me more and he was like oh yeah there's this whole new neighborhood on like the west side of the soul that's being completely redeveloped and I was like wait tell me more mm-hmm. and so that kind of is like you know the chain of curiosity where you're just like yes. tell me more tell me more and, yeah.
0: and down the rabbit hole I go exactly the new york times that's a big deal how do you how do you wind up in the new york times how does that happen
1: well i got really lucky so there's an amazing writer and professor here in town in las vegas her name is amanda fortini and she's just been an incredible mentor and so she saw my pitch and she gave me some feedback on it and then she kind of passed it along to her editor at uh, the times so it was kind of through that lucky introduction that i think i got a second look at my pitch um, and then from there went on to work with his editor.
0: And and what did you was there any kind of a food connection to the Hanok the traditional home?
1: One thing I thought that was really interesting was that these Hanok I mean they're all traditional homes and old old hanok would have like very like rustic kitchens but these hanok of course have very <laughs> okay. modern kitchens modern? okay and you'll find of course like the kimchi refrigerator as uh-huh. well which is a, a must-have in a modern korean home
0: really as a, st- a separate standalone oh yeah oh really yeah okay. yeah yeah.
1: so and these fridges are just like amazing they're like there's a there's a special way that they're cooled. like i think that like, there's some like radiant cooling maybe i can't I'm not quite sure about the mechanics of it, but basically when you open the fridge, it doesn't, you know, cool down as quickly because it's, you know, sort of like, and then they have special drawers that are like ceramic drawers sometimes to like ferment things properly. So it's just like kept at a very like perfect temperature for like long-term fermenting.
0: Fermentation. I love it. Yeah. I love it. And yeah. that's, and that's all they're used for. Is it, it, basically. Yeah. I mean,
1: I've heard of people storing wine in their kimchi fridges okay, too. Sure. You know, it's a great temperature <laughs> for that apparently. So you know, multi-purpose.
0: Multi-purpose. This sounds yeah. like a brilliant appliance. I yeah. want to get some.
1: right. Um,
0: tell yeah. us about, please, Sonia, the, the mm. article that you did for Civil Eats on mm. the People's Kitchen Collective in Oakland, because I love that story mm-hmm. um, and what is happening there. And I understand there's now a Vegas connection.
1: Yeah. So the People's Kitchen Collective is an incredible organization based out of Oakland, and they have been basically... Pursuing, I'd say, um, justice and a, a reconceptualization of what like dining is through their organization, and they do education programs where they will, for example, one of their programs they catered a meal that was meant to educate people about Japanese incarceration during World War II, and another uh, program they did um, is um, an, a breakfast in honor of the Black Panther Party's free breakfast program, and they've done a bunch of like these like th- that they use like food as an educational tool. And, interestingly enough, one of the co-founders of the People's Kitchen Collective, her name is Jocelyn Jackson, recently moved to Las Vegas and I got a chance to meet her in person because I hadn't gotten a chance to meet her in person when I was doing the article. Um, and she's just an incredible, like, thoughtful chef, and activist, and thinker, and writer.
0: Wonderful. And yeah. does she? Do you know? Does she have plans for projects in Vegas?
1: I hope so. Um, but one of the things I really respect about her is that she really wants to take the time to like get to know the community, and like that's honestly like the approach she's been taking. You know, it's just like talking to people and like learning, and rather than just sort of jumping in and trying to like start projects and programs without understanding what Las Vegas is, or who the community here is, and she's been taking a really thoughtful approach. Okay, wonderful.
0: Well, mm-hmm. I'll look forward to seeing what she what she comes yeah. up with. Yeah. For sure. Tell us about your Food 52 article, please, mm-hmm. because it's got a food connection, but also an art connection. I love it.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. okay, so this shop is in a neighborhood that I love in Seoul. It's up way north of Seoul. Um, it's called Puamdong, and I've Been to this neighborhood lots, and I'd kind of wandered into this chopsticks gallery before, and I and then I sort of realized that like, wow, I want more people to know about it, and I would love, you know, I think the photos would be incredible in here because the space itself is just this beautiful artistic space. So I went back with my friend, who's a photographer. We talked to the owners, and we profiled this chopsticks gallery in a northern neighborhood of Seoul. It's just really unique. So they work with traditional lacquer artists, and they create modern designs, but also some traditional designs, and just create these chopsticks that are just incredible works of art. Absolutely gorgeous. And whenever I I go to Seoul, it's my go-to wedding gift... Uh, take right. give to people, so... Of
0: course, okay. Yeah. And and mm-hmm. can people, do people use these day-to-day? Are people eating with them?
1: Oh, I, yeah, you okay. can, you okay. can, yeah. I mean, of course, maybe for special occasions, yes. I don't you're um, not, Yes, you're not going to yeah.
0: be running them to the dishwasher. No, every <laughs> no,
1: no, 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 okay. no, yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah please, <laughs> yeah. no. Yeah. yeah, please no. Yeah, please <laughs> no, please no. These <laughs> are like $50, it, $50 chopsticks, right. you know, okay. or more, yes. so, yeah. yeah. hand wash yeah.
0: gently. Yes, yeah. Yeah. yes, But But that's amazing to me that people... But, and I think that's important, right? When you have a work of art, but that it can be a physical connection to food as well. Totally,
1: totally, yeah. totally. Yeah.
0: So, so I love that people yeah. do use them because I think sometimes art is 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 too removed and is yeah. And what a wonderful way to blend the two.
1: Yeah. And the other thing I loved about this gallery is that I think so often people see this divide between traditional cultures, like old-fashioned, and it has to stay really traditional. And then there's like new culture, which has to be like very modern or Western. But what I saw them doing was taking a traditional Korean craft, which was this like making of chopsticks with lacquer and sometimes inlaid mother of pearl and bringing it into the modern era. And so it's just this fascinating way of like keeping the tradition alive.
0: But making it relevant to now. Yeah, too. absolutely. Love mm-hmm. it. Well, there's a Serious Eats article, mm-hmm. but I want to come back to that, please, Sonia, yeah. at the end of our interview, because it ties into another question that I want to ask you then. Yeah. But let's go back into Vegas. And doesn't Vegas. have to be Vegas. <laughs> doesn't have to be in this neighborhood. But how yes. long have you been in Vegas?
1: So I went to high school here. Okay. And then my parents stayed here, basically, while I was going to college and traveling and back in Korea. So... It's always been a home base for me, and I moved back here permanently, full-time, two years ago. Okay. Yeah. So,
0: so you feel like you've got your feet under you now yeah. and back in Vegas? Yeah. 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 It's
1: it's good to call it home again.
0: Okay. Yeah.
1: Good. How much time, if yeah.
0: any, do you spend on the strip?
1: You know, I do go to the strip sometimes. Like, I think there are some great shows, and, you know, I've gone out for, like, birthday celebrations and whatnot, but to be perfectly frank, like... I have a budget, you know, and Yeah, yeah. <laughs> can get pretty pricey on this trip. So yes. I'm it, it, often more drawn to the places that are a little more affordable off this trip than the places on this trip. For so.
0: sure. It, well, you know what's so mm. interesting? Uh, well, and Christy and I mm. ran into this topic uh, in a concrete way with Jamie Tran at uh, mm. Black Sheep when mm-hmm. we were interviewing her. And there's such a movement of fantastic chefs who have amassed a great deal of experience at the fancy pants places on the strip but they're leaving and opening Mm -hmm. their own spots off strip so Mm -hmm. i think this is something i was commenting to chris yesterday i think that people can do themselves such a favor by getting even a half mile off the strip there's a whole other world here
1: absolutely absolutely like I i would love for people to like see vegas outside of just the strip and see that like you know this is a is this a town I will say that, like, if people just want to come to Vegas and just see the Strip, that's perfectly fine with me, you know. But if you want to spend a little more time in Vegas beyond just like a weekend, or if you're coming back for a repeat visit, I sh- I think you should do yourself a favor and rent a car or hop in a rideshare and come see places that are, you know, off the off the typical beaten path of the Strip, you know.
0: Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. We had our first experience mm. on Spring Mountain Road on Friday night, oh, nice. and we went to. Uh, to Scarrow and Wolf, which mm-hmm. is a restaurant that we wanted—I wanted to go to for a long time—and it mm-hmm. was wonderful. But mm-hmm. holy moly, Asian restaurants! There's, yes. I guess, literally miles of them. It, look, you could spend a month there.
1: Oh, absolutely, yeah. And so, my mom being Korean, we would go to Spring Mountain all the time. Like that was like where we went for grocery shopping and like where we would go for like Korean dinners. Or you know, we also love Vietnamese food and Thai food. So we came to Spring Mountain like a ton. That was like one of our go-to destinations as a family growing up.
0: Bet. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us do you have a favorite Korean spot in town? I
1: do. <laughs> okay. And I'm gonna share with you my secret here. This is like yes. I'm sharing some gems here, right? Okay. Um
0: inside information. I love yeah, it. Yeah,
1: yeah. So the place that my mom and I always love to go to is a spot on East Sahara. It's called Ijo. And it's like literally the letter E space J O. Okay. And it's a, they're known for their beef stew. And to me, it just tastes like a place that you could find in Korea. It just tastes like I don't know how to say this, and I don't love the word authentic, but it just tastes super Korean to me. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And um, it's the kind of place where they have, like, Korean news, like, blaring on the TV on the wall. And if you go on a Sunday at lunchtime, it's everyone who comes after church, you know, Korean church, and, like, you know, with the grandma and the mom and the kids, the three generations at one table. Beautiful. And what they do is they bring out um, a pot of kimchi that you then kind of take with tongs and put into your like little serving bowl so that the idea is that you take as much as you want and or as much as you need without wasting and so you don't just get like a giant
0: portion. Exactly.
1: Wow. Yeah. So you can refill yeah. your own kimchi bowl. Oh, I love it. I yeah.
0: Lo- sounds very much like a, like a, an approach at a traditional French bistro to me. They would pass, oh. and pass the pickle pot and they would pass the pickled fish and you oh, would fun. just, you know, you'd take what you wanted and pass it on to the next person. <laughs> I
1: love that. I love that so much. Um, one more note about Ijo. If you're ordering the beef stew, you should note that it comes mostly unseasoned and there's salt at the table for you to season it yourself.
0: Yourself. I mm-hmm. love it. So these this place puts you in control exactly. in a number of ways. That's great, mm-hmm. and you know, for our experience as Canadians in Vegas, I've got to say I love that approach because we are not used to what we call American portions. It is, oh yeah, it is remarkable.
1: Yeah, <laughs> like,
0: there seems to be some terror that somebody some point time might leave hungry, and I can't see how that could ever happen here.
1: It's funny, like if so. I remember when I was a kid, the first time I went to Korea the can soda cans in Korea are like thin and tall and skinny and the volume of a can is like much less. It must be like maybe two-thirds the volume of an American can. And I realized that like the portion sizes in Korea are just much different than the ones in America. Yes. Yeah. It's,
0: it's, it's a noticeable thing. Yeah. For oh, sure. Yeah. And then any other spots that you would point out to people like me? So mm-hmm. people who are tourists. I come here probably more than the average tourist but um, I still don't know the city well. So these could be quiet neighborhood places or a celebratory spot, where where would you direct people who may not know about these places otherwise when they're considering Las Vegas?
1: You know, one place I feel like that is really kind of up and coming and is really interesting to me is there's a little, kind of a couple blocks just south of the, of the 215 on Rainbow where I've seen a lot of new Asian restaurants popping up. And... Uh, so far, my experiences there have all been, like, really good. So there is a Chinese-Korean place that does, it specializes in, like, Chinese-Korean, like, noodles and fried pork and stuff. So it's called Yuxiang, Y-U-X-I-A-N-G. That's great. There's another place around there called The Noodle Man, which says Chinese noodles. There's a Korean barbecue place that's actually kind of upscale, good for nice, you know, nice dinner out, called G-O-O-N-G. Um, and just, like, a, a handful of other kind of, like... Asian restaurants popping up around there just they're all great I'm
0: going to have to come back for another week I yeah think. <laughs> which is not a bad thing tell us this is not so much a food related question except that mm-hmm. it touches on your writing work mm-hmm. and the freelancing work and you're telling mm-hmm. us about the pitch process would you recommend this life to people how do you find it how difficult mm. is it being a freelancer how rewarding is it being a freelancer there you go six questions oh, all at once
1: gosh well I have so many thoughts on this <laughs> so like I can answer all of those okay. and then some yeah. Ah, uh, you know, okay, so I will say about freelancing, it's not for everyone, and it might not even be for me, so <laughs> <laughs> okay. we'll see about and you, that. And you're
0: in the thick yeah. of it and have been yeah. for some time.
1: Yeah. One thing that makes it affordable is living in Las Vegas. I don't think I could do this in San Francisco, for example, and I don't have a family. I don't have kids. I'm, not, I'm only supporting myself right now, so that's also very helpful. And the other thing is that you have to have an anchor gig like so I do copywriting on the side that just kind of just anchors my income and gives me something kind of like more regular to do
0: it makes sense some stability right right in the right. background okay
1: yeah um the things I love about freelancing is that I can you know go run errands on a Monday and I, I feel like I have the freedom to like truly explore the city and I, I travel a lot and I um I get to have a very flexible schedule and I, I love that but it is stressful because you are your own boss. You're your own accountant and your own, like, marketer. And you just have to kind of be, I guess, on all the time. Um, it's pretty exhausting. I'm not yes, going to lie.
0: Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting. We were having this discussion last night with Daniel Ontiveros, who's a friend of ours, who's mm. now the executive chef at uh, Scott AD Prime at the mm. Palms. And he was saying um, he's finding now that he's back in an executive chef role and at this mm. restaurant that's really quite a fancy spot, Mm-hmm. Um, there is, a, I guess, both a, a hope and I think an expectation that he as the head chef is going to come out mm-hmm. and interact with the guests. And so he did with us. He came out and sat with us, and, and it was wonderful. Mm-hmm. But it's a, I think it's a challenge for him because his training is all in cooking, right? Mm-hmm. So what he knows is work in the pans for 12 hours a day, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden he's thrust into this other role. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's a parallel, I'd love your thoughts on that, to the mm-hmm. freelancing world where what you know well and what you're skill and trade is, really is writing. But in order to do that, as you say, you're chief cook and bottle wash as well, right? Like you're looking after the web design and the editing and the accounting and all right. the rest of it.
1: Right. right. I, I think a lot of people who get into this don't realize that there's all that extra work, you know, that's in, entailed with with being a freelancer. So I, I don't know if I actually would recommend this, you know, line of work. I think it makes sense for people who need flexibility. So people who maybe have to be like home caretakers or um, if, for example, you know, you need the flexibility to be able to work from home or maybe sometimes there are like parents who are are taking care of kids. So I, I think in some sense, like, you know, maybe this is the new economy where we have to be able to go into freelancing and then go back to like a job and then go back to freelancing and just be able to take on those take on those skills and take on those those roles i don't know i think i think that we as a society have a lot to figure out in terms of like what makes life stable for people and I don't know. I'm not trying to get too heavy here. I'm like, I don't know, no, you're chef, but, but, but but for example, I think that like universal healthcare is something that like a society would be would would be good for a society to offer to people to to enable a little more work flexibility.
0: You know, I was having this discussion with Chris yesterday. I think, and this I have to say is the one big difference I notice, or I sometimes think about between Canada and the mm-hmm. U.S. Mm-hmm. And in Canada, and nice. I I going to try to state this as matter of factly as I can because mm-hmm. I realize how. Incredibly privileged. It's going to sound. Mm. I don't think about healthcare. Mm. I never think about it, and I think that's typical. That's not entirely true because we're talking mm. about it now. But I virtually never think about it, and I think that's true for most Canadians. It just exists, yeah. and I think that does give a lot more freedom and stability to people. Totally. If you want, I, I cannot conceive mm. of having. It just seems so strange to me to have healthcare tied to employment and yeah. or tied to private insurance.
1: Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that, like, it's something to consider. Like, I think that freelancing gets romanticized, you know, like, oh, you get to, like, go be a travel writer, right? Or, like, travel around the world or something, you know? <laughs> you but like to sleep in. And right, to, yeah. right. But a lot of that, I think, comes with people who maybe have a certain amount of, like, privilege or um, just some, like, flexibility in their lives that they might not otherwise. So... Yeah, to be frank, I may not be doing this next year, so (laughs) who knows? Who can say? Okay.
0: Well, I'm delighted that I've caught you today while you are still in the midst of it. Yeah. Um, Just a few more questions, Sonia. I want to move into some tips for listeners. And here, I do want to circle back to the Serious Eats article Mm -hmm. that you wrote, because that Mm -hmm. was entitled, How to Stock a Korean Pantry. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious for any recommendations you have on what people might add to their kitchen that they might not have now.
1: Ooh, okay. (laughs) Well, I say that to someone who is... I would say, admittedly, a beginner home cook.
0: Okay. <laughs> but
1: I have learned a few things along the way, especially from the chef that I work with, Soyoung. and the one thing that has like really upped my pantry game, I guess, my Korean pantry game, is getting good soy sauce and getting ah. good sesame oil.
0: Yes, okay. Yeah. And recommendations on where would you do that here in Vegas? Would you do that at Spring Mountain Road? Of course, uh, yes. yeah. There's a,
1: there's a Korean grocery store that I always go to. It's called Greenland, it's the biggest one. And when you're looking at Korean soy sauce, For me, what I look at is you look at the ingredient label and look for a soy sauce without wheat. Okay. Because wheat is actually the product of Japanese colonization in Korea. So the Japanese soy sauces are typically made with wheat. It's a faster ferment. And Korean soy sauce is traditionally made only soybeans, water, and salt. That's it. And so it's a a deeper, funkier, stronger actually kind of soy sauce. And if you are looking at the ingredient label, look for one without wheat. Um, Wheat makes it also sweeter, so soy sauce with wheat is going to be sweeter as well. And maybe there's there's a place for that too in your kitchen. Like sometimes you're going to want something sweeter, like in a marinade or something. But getting that like original, old school Korean flavor is something that like has changed a lot of my uh, approach to to cooking Korean food. Um, That's one. Hmm. Yeah. If you can get your hands on fresh, like hands on on fresh squeezed, fresh pressed soy or sesame oil. That's always really nice, but it's kind of hard to find outside of Koreatown in L.A., so... Okay. Even, that,
0: even here in Vegas?
1: Yeah, it's, yeah. I, it's, I haven't seen it okay. in Vegas, so it's something you have to kind of just maybe go out of town for, maybe. Right. Um, yeah. Business yeah.
0: opportunity for a freelancer. There we freelancer. go. There yeah. we go. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I'll start a sesame oil business. Yeah. What else is, like, uh, an ingredient that I, I really love? You know, one thing that, like, I wish we had more of, and maybe this will never happen, but, man, I really miss fresh seafood. I mean, oh, man, there's a fish market in Seoul that I would go to sometimes and just pick up, like, a bag full of, like, fresh clams or shrimp or something. That was so much fun. Maybe I'll have to move to a coastal city at some point. I think so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think yeah. so.
0: It's mm-hmm. funny. We occasionally, and we did mm-hmm. last night. We had some stone crab that mm-hmm. our chef friend sent out to us, and it was delicious. Mm-hmm. But I've got to say, every time I consume seafood in Vegas, I feel extra guilty because I just know the environmental <gasps> oh, impact. I can't Oh, I know,
1: I know. And but the places good. on the strip, they get, they truly, they do get like fresh stuff shipped in from all over the world. I mean, they get yeah. some really great seafood, but. <laughs> For us, you know, commoners here who are oh, yeah. going grocery shopping, we
0: it's it's yeah, yeah. yeah well it's already well that's yeah. right. And there is a a beauty to eating fresh local organic, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. are you noticing yeah. on that yeah. on that front that there is yeah. more local food production in Vegas? I'd seem I've seen like little snippets of it. We were mm-hmm. in uh, Tivoli village in mm-hmm. Summerlin and mm-hmm. there was a farmer's market there. That was mm-hmm. the first anything like that I had seen in Vegas. So that is that scene. Starting to develop more.
1: So a farm you should look into. There's a farm called Clucket Farm. Okay. It's up on the north side of town, and she's actually doing a lot of local organic production here. So she's doing incredible work, and just um, she's actually working with I think she's working with like a, a healthcare company to provide like like a CSA for people who are in, in their their program. And she's been stocking like local beef from Nevada as well recently. Um, so she's doing some really cool stuff. Personally, I think that a city of our size will probably never be able to be fully. Self sustaining. Like that, maybe just is not an option for us. But mm-hmm. then my question is, like, what are the next best yeah. options, you know? So, you know, what does it mean to like import food? I think I heard this really interesting stat one time. It said something, it was something like if like the trucks and planes stopped flying into Vegas, we'd, we would run out of food in three days. Wow. Yeah. 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 So,
0: that that sounds believable to me. Cause, yeah, Because yeah, yeah. there's not that much local production.
1: Totally. And so we're just like looking at like what does it mean to be sustainable in a city like Las Vegas that maybe can't physically actually sustain itself with agriculture completely as a city. But one thing actually with Spicy as we did was we went out to this pig farm up on the north side of town that takes the scraps from buffets. Right,
0: yes, I love that episode. And what a great way to use that, yeah, to use it up, right?
1: Which is interesting. Like, I mean, you can point out that maybe like the most sustainable thing would be to not necessarily have buffets. Right, right. But if this is the city that we are, then what's the next best thing, you know, in terms of recycling and turning it back into food again? Maybe it's yeah. the pig farm. Maybe it's
0: the pig farm. Yeah. Anything else that you're cooking these days, Sonia? That you would like to share with us? One thing that one thought that popped into my mind. We were talking about using up scraps uh, mm-hmm. before we started recording, and now we're talking about sustainability. So it doesn't yeah. have to relate to that, but anything that you're cooking that you would want to share?
1: Well, I am actually trying to be more sustainable in my cooking. I'm trying to like not throw out as much food and use up my scraps. You know, so one thing I did recently was um, I don't know. This is a small, silly thing, maybe, but you know, I had a jar of pickles, or I finished off the pickles, but there was still all that, you know, two inches of pickle juice at the bottom of the jar, right? So I was like, well, maybe I'll turn that into a vinaigrette. So I threw in some, you know, mustard, a little bit of like fig jam and some olive oil, and I shook it all up, and it made a really delicious vinaigrette. Vinaigrette. um, That's one thing I I did recently. Another thing I like have gotten into recently is I, I really like fermentation projects, like little fermentation projects. I've been making a little pickles, and I actually also brew Korean rice alcohol. So that's something I learned how to do in Korea. Um, and so what, I'll just... What is that called? Um, it, so it, It's a makgeolli. Okay. Yeah. And it's, like a, it's a cloudy rice yes, beer kind of. I can of. picture it. Yeah. 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 Um, it's really tasty. I like it a lot. So. How long does yeah. it
0: take to ferment at home?
1: It depends on the recipe you're using. It depends on the weather. Sure. Um, but I, I guess like a, a quick one-stage fermentation with this beautiful fall weather we have in the 70s right now. Maybe like a a week or so. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So it's not
0: a super long-term project. No, no,
1: no. It's pretty Uh, easy, too. Pretty easy, too. Okay. All right. I'll bring you a jar of that next time. Okay. Thank you. I love
0: that idea. Uh Well, listen, Sonia, thank you so much for taking the time to meet up. And before we wrap it up, please tell my listeners where they can find you and and what you're up to.
1: Okay. So I am on Twitter at Sonia, that's S-O-N-J-A, M Swanson, but you can also find us on SpicyEyes, spicyeyespod.com. You know, just go to Spicy Eyes, and you'll find it all there.
0: Wonderful. And I'll put links to all of that. Sonia, thanks again. It's been a lot of fun.
1: Thank you so much. I appreciate it.
0: Thank you, Sonia, for taking the time to meet up, for sharing so much about the really interesting work you do, about the many projects you've got on the go, and for that jar of really, really tasty granola. Thank you. It was awesome. And my invitation to visit British Columbia, it definitely stands. I hope that you and Christy and Chris and all of my Vegas-loving friends can make it here someday. I'd love to introduce you all to British Columbia. Okay, remember that you can avoid the hassle of ever having to download Chef Chefdemoni again just by subscribing to the show, whether that's on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. And again, please do take a minute to rate the show and or to leave a written review for Chef Chefdemoni. As always, I love to hear from you, so please get in touch. You might have a comment for the show or a question. Maybe you've got a topic suggestion or you know a chef or you are a chef or you know a lawyer or you are a lawyer who's got a connection to the food scene, I really would love to hear from you. So you can get in touch on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, or just send me an email to graham at chefdemoni.com. Okay, thanks very much for joining me once again. I'm Graham McLennan, and I'll see you next Friday, right here on Chefdemoni.